It's Just Business with Steve Thomas and your host, Chris Larry. Hello and welcome to another episode of It's Just Business on the Hogstyle Network, the show where we look at the dollars and cents of the sports media business industrial complex and all of its moving bips and bops. How you doing today, Steve? I'm doing all right, man. How about you? Not bad. Summer. Having fun. You know. Well, you see, I made a cardinal mistake, which has ended up affecting the Hogstyle, which is I just forgot to apply for credentials this year. It's just like the whole thing kind of slipped, you know, kind of slipped up on me a little bit. Now, if you recall, last year, for the first time in five or six years, they denied us credentials. And I'm just attributing that to my mouth, probably, you know, because we're not really a bunch of, you know, sycophantic fanboys. And I've bashed Danny Snyder and all that all these years. So I just attributed to that. This year, I was kind of hopeful that we would break through again since there's new ownership. But since I completely forgot... I forced Alex to go to training camp with the great unwashed. So this is my mistake, but, um, you know, Hey, Alex will just have to get over it, but no cool interviews this year as a result. Well, maybe this is the year you want to be with the fans, right? Uh, I mean, it's (laughs) the, the good thing about the training camp credentials is that you could, you could get interviews. That was the we had all the the interviews we had and the video and everything was all because Alex and uh, Jamal when he was with us, you know, had access. So I blew it this year. So I was kind of bummed about that because again, I just just didn't occur to me. So oh well, we'll live. You'll survive. Um, well, we got some exciting uh, a few a few house cleaning things before we jump into our topics. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. We're starting to kick the tires on our Twitter account, Just Business Pod, on Twitter. Love to hear from you there if you're listening. Or X, I guess, perhaps, or what is? It? Is Twitter still called Twitter? I'm I'm still calling it Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Fair so enough. I'm not calling it X. Um, Oh, it's funny. You know, all these things do this, but this, you know, like, no, but no one calls Google Alphabet and no one calls Facebook Meta, you know. So it, I, it's kind of interesting how fast X is kind of stuck, but whatever, that's an aside. So, um, so, and we've got a new feed. Um, and so we'll start featuring a little bit more stuff that way and want to do some more engagement, start some new things. So start out just business pod um reach out to us uh we'd like to read some uh, feedback on the air and otherwise get a little bit more engagement so there's that and a few more things are probably rolling out over the the coming weeks wouldn't you say steve or coming shows yeah 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 there'll be a few more things and we will um uh, part of the 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 twitter account thing is chris and i have got to get used to actually being active on twitter again to, to do it but um which will be a change for me because i'm not on social media but yes we will be more active and we'd like to hear from you guys and whatnot and we plan on interacting with some you know writers and whatnot so yeah definitely check us out there so if you want you know tweet at any at Anybody you think wants to listen and, and be on the show, right? Or, or, or do we say, do we X at perhaps? Is that what it is now? <laughs> you just, you don't want to play this game, do you? I, I, it's ridiculous. <laughs> well, no, because it's just, an, it's it's insane. 
Like, first of oh. all, when you say X like that, right, you had a hot one of the most branded things of all time, right, to send a tweet, right? The, like, we even take the verb part of it. You don't send an X. And also, it just sounds like you're just using that as a holding place because you're not sure what you want to put there, right? Like, I'll send you X later. That might be a book. That might be, you know, like, it, it doesn't even, <laughs> it doesn't describe anything. I mean, apparently Elon has some weird thing with X, I guess, is what I understand. But I agree with you, and obviously he can do whatever he wants. It's his company, you know. But I agree with you in that you have this brand that that's invaluable, and you just wipe it off the face of the earth. You know, at least, like, Meta is the corporate parent of Facebook, I think. And so right, like the, the so social network Facebook is still Facebook. Right, and so that's fair. And Google Alphabet is the same thing. It's still yeah. the product is Google, but right. you don't alphabet and, something. Yeah, but in this case, um, Elon appears to have changed the name of the product to X, uh, which just single handedly destroyed the marketing. All of the marketing, uh, you know, Hootspot had. I do find it kind of odd. I like Elon, right. but I find that odd. Uh, uh, yeah, right, right. The com- I guess it, the comp would be if he. Tesla, SpaceX, whatever all that nonsense is. Twitter was all under X, right? That would be that would be more similar to Alphabet or, or Meta in that, you know. And then Twitter would still be Twitter within that within that larger holding tank. Also, it sounds like now you're referring to like an adult movie or something, which is right, weird, right, right. So. It either means nothing or it means porn. Yeah, right? exactly. So, like that. Those aren't usually the, you know, those aren't, you don't usually like want those two associations, you know, especially as a, as a catch all. Yeah, I know. I don't, I don't get it. It's, it's odd. I'm not on it enough to care that much, but I just find it odd from a marketing standpoint, what he's doing. And the logo is, it also visually is very unappealing. Well, I, so it's just a, it looks like it's just literally just an X. I mean, look, I just like magically changed on my phone somehow. And it looks like a nice. font in in Microsoft Word if you blew it up to you know <laughs> twenty six points or whatever. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. So Elon, if you'd like to come on the show and talk about what your <laughs> marketing strategy is, we'll certainly have you because uh, I don't get it. Uh, yeah, it doesn't make much sense to me, and it's ugly. Um, so yeah, so you can X us. Um, <laughs> Please don't literally X us. <laughs> 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 We right. don't want to so see that. Fill in the blanks about what that means to you, but go ahead and do it. <laughs> um, oh. But seriously, uh, yeah, and I'm excited. We get, I would. It would be fun to get some uh, to, some writers on and do some interesting things. So, uh, but we'll share more of that as we come. Right now, just business pod um, and more details and more little mini updates to come. Uh, Is there a reason why it's not? It's just at. It's just business. Was that taken? There was when I did it, but. I have no idea what it was. I do remember. So I remember there was a reason. I don't remember what the reason is. <laughs> Nor it does, doesn't matter. It is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. Right. Um, all right. So it is what it is. Maybe what the administration and the uh, people who run the Pac-12 are saying, you know, right about now as their uh, college football to, uh, conference kind of what uh, disintegrates Disintegr- in front of our eyes. You know, I mean, so – this was one of those stories that we've been tracking for a while that's been active for a while. And if we'd have recorded the show Wednesday, Friday, or now we're recording on a Sunday, we'd have radically different data points about how and why the Pac-12 is, is disintegrating. But pretty much, and maybe the death blow is that, I guess over the weekend, I'm not even sure, but recently, as if we record this on Sunday, the uh, 
What Oregon was it? Oregon and Washington, right? Yeah, I've got all this. I literally had to write all this on a piece of paper to keep yeah. track of all this. But those were the big. Those were two of the big after UCLA and USC already left. You know, those were kind of the two stalwarts that were left. So we're we're in we're in nobody knows land. Okay, so first of all, there's a bunch of stories, but I don't have a specific one sitting here in front of me to cite for you guys. Um, there are a few. Let's see. Okay, the, the most recent one is a CNN story uh, J- by whoa, by Jacob Lev and Homero de la Fuente dated August 4th. Five, uni- five universities announced departure from the Pac-12 conference on Friday, leaving its future in question. I, that, that's probably the most comprehensive one. I finally saw this up. So, okay. So, the schools that are currently left, and again, I had to decipher this. The schools that are left in the Pac-12 right now are Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford, and that's it. And I'm just going to run through all this, the changes. We already knew about UCLA and USC, which was a 2024 move, excuse me, Big Ten. Um, Oregon and Washington also went to the Big Ten. Uh, and now the big... Yeah, so it's Oregon, Washington, UCLA, USC to the Big Ten. Then Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado are all Big 12. Colorado had previously announced um, Big 12. So so that is a total of eight schools uh, have departed. Now, just to summarize here, so the Big 12 now is, again, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, uh, Colorado, Kansas State, TCU, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Kansas, West Virginia, and Iowa State. Because remember that Texas and Oklahoma moved to the SEC. So that's the big talk. The Big Ten then will be uh, Oregon, Washington, uh, UCLA, USC, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Maryland, Michigan State, Indiana, Rutgers, and then the other division, Purdue, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Nebraska, and Northwestern. So that is the summary. The big question is why, and I will just start by saying money. Big 12, Pac-12, money. Um, Pac-12 makes a lot less than the other school than the other um, conferences, and that's the end of the story that as to why they moved. But your thoughts, kind of generally? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree with any of that. I think it's interesting because one of the big reasons why they were earning less or less valuable than the other conferences is because their media deal and their media deal is up. So uh, that was the problem to begin with. They're trying to negotiate a new one. And obviously those negotiations are not going great because you've had they four don't teams have a bounce yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the process. So if you thought their media deal was bad before and then they were renegotiating, I don't even know what they're negotiating now. So that, that sort of, you know, and the rumors are, um, well, rumors might even be, you know, an undersell. The probability is that Stanford and Cal are next um, because those are big enough programs that they don't need to stay in a zombie conference. So they're, you know, they're going to be out as soon as they can. And I don't imagine Oregon and Washington states, you know, that they, they can't, they don't, you can't have a conference of two or whatever. So, um, yeah, do, do, and to Stanford and, um, Cal moved to the move to the Big Ten and they just make it around Big 20. You know, you have 10, you know, you get then it makes everything easier. So if I was the Big Ten, I would just go ahead and swipe them up now, make it to Big 20. My my two divisions or whatever they're called can have 10 in each and, you know, go from there because. 
this is this is wild. I don't even, you know, it it makes no sense. And what we're really what we're gearing up for is, and if you start to look into the future, you got two giant leagues, right? You got the Big Ten and the SEC, um, and eventually is just everybody in one of those, and we have an AFC NFC's type of construct. Well, this is what we've. I don't think we necessarily specifically predicted the Pac-12 disintegrating specifically but what we have talked about for years is this kind of massive two-party you know power structure that's about to go on and that i think the future of the entire nca is put in doubt you know with this i what i can see is the sec and the big 10 leaving uh, nca entirely <coughs> someday right. um yeah and first of all like cal and stanford don't strike me as big 12 schools they strike me more as big 10 schools I think. that's the, the yeah that that that's that's where the rumblings are for sure. Yeah, because the Big Twelve is is still kind of the B the B team a little bit, you know. With this, right, and Kansas, if you're the Big Kansas Ten, State. where the Big Ten was traditionally, I know that means nothing, but traditionally was big mid Midwestern state schools, right? Like that was kind of the you know that was the the, the organizing construct. Um, now apparently, plus two Los Angeles schools. <laughs> well, right, you know now re, you know SEC still somewhat adheres to it, although the Texas move, you're starting to push that definition pretty substantially. But you can't really see. Look at at like the schools that move to the Big Ten are the A team, Oregon, UCLA, USC. I, I wouldn't necessarily throw Washington in there, but three of the four are big time schools, and the the ones that are moving to the Big Twelve are kind of the B team. Yeah, for the most and part. I, and so I think also that means if if you're the if you're the Big Ten, if you've been pin, imported now these West Coast teams, you know, and they sort of saw this when they brought on Maryland and some other teams. You gotta you gotta kind of bring in rivals too, right? Like it's you know, so like to me it's just like. Ah, sure. Give me Stanford and Cal, right? Just like throw them into the bargain. Let me get to an even 20. Then you got some natural rivalries. You can start to build more regional divisions. So like, to me, it's like you, you, you need more West coast teams in there. If you actually want to have like a vibrant conference, which is like, if you're designing this conference at this point, those things are going to start to matter because you're a national conference. Oh yeah. 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 And again, I mean, we're down to, too. And I'll tell you the, the the rumors that I've read over the weekend is that Florida State is a sh- you know, almost assuredly going to leave the ACC. That that's the 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 I, I don't have the column right in front of me, but a column. I do. Oh, good. Okay, go go ahead. Yeah, this was because I I agree. This was one of the things that this to me was was the huge data point of what we're talking about, where we're just going to be left with two at some point. So this was Brett uh, McMurphy in. In action? What is action, by the way, Steve? Action? I don't know what it is. It's a site I've never heard of. But yeah, that's yeah. The, that's the site. The reporting was pretty good, so I can't. But I was like, "What the heck is action?" So anyway, yeah. So um, Florida State's president Richard McCullough uh, and the school's trustees were clear that their days in the ACC were limited. So here's McCullough. We are not satisfied with our current situation, McCullough said, and the board of trustees meeting. We love the ACC. Our goal is to stay in the ACC, but to stay in the ACC under the current media rights. I just lost my place. Give me a second here. I'll be right back. Uh, Chris is lost. I don't know what happened. Oh, there we go. Uh, we love the ACC. Our goal is to stay in the ACC, uh, but with the media rights situation, it's hard for us to figure out how do we remain competitive unless there are major changes in revenue distribu- distribution within the ACC. Added FSU trustee Drew Weatherford, it's not a matter of if we leave the ACC, but how and when we leave. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, can Florida State go to any other conference but the SEC? I mean, really? No. <laughs> I mean, I mean, at this point, if we're holding on, you know, and I'm not nearly as much a traditionalist as you, Steve, but but this, but I, was, I I do like things to make sense, and I do like a little tradition sprinkled in. And if if Florida State goes somewhere that isn't the SEC, it's just like none of this matters. Like it's just like yeah. It, like, like, can we just like hold on to that shred of of logic and keep them at least in the SEC? Okay, let's start here. The easy one: Does the Pac-12 just disband? Yes. Or do they? Because what what they could do is merge with one of these columns. Might have been this. It was this Action Network column. As a matter of fact, talked about the Mountain West, which is decidedly a B team, you know, um, conference. It's not a Power Five Power conference. But you could hypothetically see the Pac-12 kind of merge with with uh, the Mountain West and try to keep Oregon and Oregon State and Washington in there maybe and, you know, become kind of a new minor power conference sort of, I guess. I mean, that's that's a possibility. Or right. They're they in merge or die mode. Yeah. Right. But the bigger question, I think, is because that's less interesting to me than what is the future of college athletics? Do these conferences really need the NCA? The NCA really needs them, okay? Because particularly like, uh, well, generally speaking, the Power Five conferences pay for everybody else. And we've talked about this on the show, you know, many times. The the March Madness tournament and college football pay for everybody in the NCA, in the NCA and all these other sports. But if you really want to be greedy about it, because guess what? It's just business. Um, what would stop the SEC and the Big Ten from just leaving the NCAA entirely. Maybe you'd have to sort through some contracts and stuff to do it. So it couldn't maybe it couldn't be immediate. Just leave the NCAA entirely. Form their own, you know, uh, university athletic organization type thing, and just do it themselves and keep all the money. Isn't that not the future? I think it's definitely on a short list of po- probable slash possible futures. Yeah. Um, the, the halfway house to that, which I know we've talked about on the show a few times before, is also, you know, at some point, do we just separate out football? Right. Because, you know, as financially powerful as men's college basketball is, um, it's still hurt by this, too. Like a lot of these things that make sense for college football actually don't make sense for these schools in college basketball. Right. Like those things, those two things, I think, are starting to diverge somewhat. And you could actually probably make an argument that if you were to somehow divide those meet the if you were somehow to make sense of allowing some of these things to stay. Then you keep some of this and maybe you keep a different revenue model. Like, I wonder if if men's like if men's college basketball stays with the NCAA, it's still going to be a revenue generator and you just let football go do its own thing. And that, I think, brings – I actually think some interest, passion, and sense back to college basketball where regional stuff that, – that, that stuff is more important. They play more games. It's more parochial. you know. So at some point, I think we might look at what's it like to just ship football off on its own thing and not make basketball and then kind of to your point, the rest of college athletics be this enthralled to what football does. Now, why do you think some of these moves don't make sense for basketball? Because I think the division, I think the conferences and the regionality of it and the frequency of games make having to travel those to conferences more important. UCLA has to basketball. 
UCLA having to travel to go play Maryland or whatever, I mean, is tough from basketball. Yeah, and, and the, you think yeah. the ACC is a great example, right? Like, that made sense. It still makes sense for the for Dukes and North Carolinas and Maryland's and UVA's to be playing each other multiple mm-hmm. times a year, going up and down that corridor. Or, you know, uh, you, you're bringing people out on Tuesday nights, you know, not just Saturday night eight times a year. Uh, that's fair enough. I, I mean, if um, it would make sense if these people weren't actually students, you know, but hypothetically, these are college students. And so, yeah, I get your point of, you know, if you have, uh, you know, Oregon travel to Maryland on a Wednesday, that takes up basically three days because they're going to go probably the night before. They're going to stay there Tuesday. They're going to miss classes on Wednesday. Um, uh, You know, so are these college students or are they not college students? One may argue that they're not really college students. Uh, And if so, just stop the charade. That's my my point from the beginning. Just stop the charade with this. But I even think just from the, the, the quality of the sport, the quality and value and fandom of the sports is much different. The you know nobody wants Maryland versus Indiana is not some you know these it's not there's no passion there right and I do think that I just think it's a it's a key distinction which I think that people who are really concerned about college basketball are eventually going to be like why are we so beholden to what football does also you could also make the case that that just means you split that thing in half and that's two media rights deals that they got to go you know it actually could be more money if you did it right right so you let you let men's college basketball kind of have more free agency and how they not as linked to football. And then you're, you got all those things. You're, you're selling two big media rights packages. Yeah, true. I mean, of course the vast majority of NCAA schools would be very much, you know, be vehemently against all of this, you know, because (laughs) their money comes from both. Yeah. No. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I mean, not, there's no ways forward here that aren't, massively disruptive to something within the ecosystem yeah and it's and we're talking about the little state schools you know the uh, you know i don't know you know the southeast louisiana state you know type schools would be dramatically hurt by the revenue from football and then the revenue from basketball being kind of collected you know separately if you will um that's the problem with this but again it's business and at the end of the day these schools these big schools don't care and don't have to care about any of that. You know, they're look, they're moving these, this conference moves in case anybody has any delusions is about nothing but money period. The, the, if you look at the revenue earned by the PAC 12, Chris said this earlier, the media rights deals are very weak in the PAC 12. They always have been. That is why they're losing all these school has, has nothing to do with like, Oregon wanting to play Michigan on a regular basis is not that at all. It is only about money and, and, um, sorry, my phone is not muted and somebody's calling me. My apologies for that. Um, anyway, it's all, that's all it is. And, and, um, and if that's the case, then there's no reason to stop reason. It would stop anybody from, uh, doing what you're suggesting, which is kind of separating the income. Yeah, no, it, it it's it's crazy. Um, it, no, it's not going to slow down. It's not going to change. But I don't think I also don't think this constant chaos is sustainable either, right? Like, so at some point, some a new normal with some sustainability is going to have to set in. Will certainly be interesting, you know. I mean, we've been talking about it almost as long as the show's been been. Uh, 
you know, being produced that the future of college athletics is under existential assault on multiple levels. And that was a little bit more theoretical when we started off the show. And now it is hyper practical. Yeah. So uh, let's do some predictions. What do you think? What's a good prediction? Five years from now, one, do you think there will be a Pac-12? And do you think that the SEC and the Big Ten will still be part of the NCAA? I think so. I'll take the second one first. I think they will be part of still part of the NCAA. I think you'll have some rocky moments, but I think ultimately what will keep them there is because at this point they've just sort of, and I think within five years, they will have so made the NCAA their shell organization anyway that it'll make sense to stay. They will have pushed the NCAA to do everything that they want and bend over backwards that it'll actually just be like, oh, well, we basically created what we needed anyway, and it'll make more sense to stay. But the NCAA's governance, its utility, its power will be greatly diminished in 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 that. So I think you'll have a, a much more of a paper tiger than it already is in the NCAA, and it'll be beholden to the, those those football decisions. But it will still call it the NCAA. And then Pac-12, you think will be gone? I like uh, prob. I don't know. I think you know. You know, I liked your idea about the merge. You know, obviously the Pac-12 from a brand cachet's bigger than the Mountain West, right? So, like, if you do right. merge three things and you had to pick between those brands, the Pac-12 is always going to win as the one you pick. So, again, it probably lives on as, like, a legacy zombie name. Yeah, probably so. Um, so, I don't know. We haven't talked too much about this, but you just said something interesting, which is that the NCAA is a paper tiger, <laughs> um, which it is. Because understand that the conference presidents really drive everything, okay? The NCAA isn't really in charge. Hypothetically, they are. But in reality, the big Power Five conference presidents are the ones who drive everything anyway in the NCAA. Uh, and, you know, so the chairman of the, SC, of the SEC, the chairman of the Big Ten, they have all the real actual positional authority. Um, so... In some respects, I do think the NCAA will still be here in five years for sure. Um, but I think the financial deals that are cut from football and basketball in particular will be even more slanted toward the power conferences than they are. So I guess that's Yeah, totally. Not to mention, we we've gotten into it many times and we'll have more times to get into it. But you add in um, name, image, likeness stuff, and those are two huge plans, like doing everything for the media deal and the new economics of, you know, just for the ease of conversation, player payments. Um, well, you know, those two realities, you almost have, you have to rearrange and make the, the tiger even more paper. I think that's the only outcome, Yeah, but yeah, it'll yeah. be valuable to all everyone to have the shell of the NCAA in place. And the, I guess the final thing here is this is not really a business question, but is it even worthwhile to have a college football playoff system anymore? <laughs> you know, I mean, isn't it? Shouldn't just be the national champion be the the winner, the uh, competition between the winner of the Big Ten and the winner of the SEC? Isn't that your national champion every year? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see, and you could maybe 
maybe you do a wild card. Maybe you you give like an ad hoc wild card spot in each division, right? So like your, I don't know, you know, East Tennessee State or whatever, like has like that magical has a shot. Yeah, right. They get in at the eighth seed or whatever. So you keep some, you keep some at large seat within those two divisions just for the, you know, kind of just a hand wave at at fairness or parity or letting like a <laughs> upstart get in but then yeah then you just run it because think about that that's what you'd want to see anyway you don't you'd want to see ohio michigan in the big 10 championship game to go to the you know which is basically the nfc championship game to get to the super bowl you know you, you know from a tv programming standpoint that's of course what you want yeah i actually think the college football would be wise to change the playoff system to only include only include um, conference champions, and and then it, you'd probably need to have one or two wild cards to make the numbers work out, and so that way you have the playoffs in the Big Twelve, you have the playoffs in the Big Ten, you, you know, and then you get to the champion, and then the champions face each other. I don't know why it's so difficult for college football to understand that, but that's what they need. And then again, if you win like the Mountain West, you're in. Congratulations! You might have to right, go play Ohio State, or whatever, yeah. you know, but uh, you know, and you get your shot. And so this like wild card stuff, this you know, ranking stuff is stupid. Just have the tournament, every conference champion. Period. That's and, it. And and what you said there makes a lot of sense to me, and it kind of pisses me off because it's not what you said pisses me off, but the the, the idea that. You're blowing it up anyway. Do it smart. Be creative. Do something yeah. fun. Create the future that's more interesting. All the sacred cow, the sacred cows are lying slain in the field, right? <laughs> you know, it's a, a feast for crows with the uh, with the sacred cows. So, <laughs> so let's do something creative. Do something interesting. Do something that makes sense for the sport, not just this death by a thousand cuts, bureaucratic, dollar. First decision making, and I make an argue. Yes, they're gonna make this dollar first decisions. But if they actually got creative and did some of the things that we're talking about and that you're talking about, they did. It would be amazing. It would reinvigorate the sport to a large degree, and it would make more money in the long run. Yeah, and the other part of this is I think that the bowl games are a shell of themselves from what they were even oh, you yeah. know 10 15 years ago even uh, in terms of money in terms of audience in terms of cachet in terms of how much they matter honestly i don't really care about bowl games too much anymore i used to really care about the bowl games but uh, nobody watches them the ratings are low esp the reason they exist primarily is two things one espn owns most of them and two there are people who are running the games locally who make a lot of money on them those are the two reasons why they still exist, but I think they ought to take this opportunity, this reorganization, just dump all of them. Stop supporting the bowl games, just have this playoff and be done with it. I'd offer a third reason why the ridiculous long tail of bowl games exist. Gambling. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. Let's throw that one in there too. That's good. Yes, a lot of games to bet on at a time when people are kind of amped up in the calendar for football anyway. And you for the real. I mean, it's not you know, it's not the let's go to the casino on the Saturday night. It's like let's go to casino at eleven o'clock on Tuesday at you know, eleven <laughs> o'clock a.m. Um, on hey, Tuesday, these players have five, to make but, money. These players have to make money somehow, right? It's the bet on right. their own games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. We, yeah, we, 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 we don't plan to talk about this. We don't have anything in front of us, but I, I guess we started to start to see a couple, some of the players on their own game. dominoes are starting to fall. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, we, we didn't plan for this, but I mentioned this on the hog side the other day. So I didn't want your opinion. It seems like, and we're kind of deviating here, but it's okay. 
at the NFL seems to have cracked down on gambling tremendously this offseason. Has anybody picked up on this? They suspended yes. many players for gambling on football, and they I can't remember the last time that's happened. So it seems to me that the NFL is taking a preemptive strike against the criticism of it getting in bed with gambling houses like FanDuel, et cetera, and moving teams to Las Vegas. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this many times, and I, I, you know, this is where I actually don't have a lot of sympathy for these players. And, but, uh, and I totally agree. I mean, you know, I'd love, I would, there's an interesting story at some point about the crack team of investigators and, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, um, you know, squad they put together at the NFL office to investigate this. That's probably an interesting story of investigators and their process and like, you know, what they say. We got to put the real dogs on finding these uh, gambling problems within our players. Yeah, well, for don't get me started on NFL's investigators. It seems like they're not the most competent group of investigators in the world, put it that way. Well, they're on they, top of They seem to be on top of these players. Gambling. I guess, but it takes them forever, forever to do anything. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, I my all my point is, I think the big picture here is that the NFL is trying to get a preemptive strike out on the criticism that it's too much in bed with gambling by telling these players you got to stop. Yeah, well, if you're a low-level drug dealer and it, you start and and your higher ups start hearing that you're you're using more of the supply than you're you're selling, you end up in a uh, you end up in um, you know a trash can in a dumpster, and that's essentially what they're doing here. That, that you know some backup left guard who is putting this golden goose at anywhere near risk is going to get taken out back. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, they, I mean they're making at a minimum eight hundred something thousand dollars a year, and you're going to risk it all for a few thousand dollars in gambling. It makes no sense. Yeah, and the league isn't has it doesn't care about you. So no, you know. right? Yeah, you're you, that you're you're just you know trash. Yeah. Anyway, so let's move on. So is Steve here's is well, here's I'll, well I'll I'll pick up on our prediction uh, vibe. In five years, is Tiger Woods the uh, commissioner of whatever we call professional golf? I think he wants to be. Yeah. I don't know if he will be because see, there's a difference. They the, the this golf world knows that he's by far the biggest name. You can like him, not like him. You can criticize his personal foibles and all that. But the fact of the matter is he's the biggest name in golf history. And the fact that he survived all those just makes him stronger. Yeah, exactly. He's bigger than Jack Nichols. He's bigger than Arnold Palmer. He's bigger than any of them. He is the biggest name in golf history, and he's in the pop culture every day. You're right. He survived all that nonsense with his wife. He survived him, like, stripping every porn star, you know, out there. He's still a major A-list person. So golf wants me. But So the question is, to me, is Tiger Woods capable of being the commissioner of this? At the end of the day, uh, you know, he made a lot of money on um, you know, being a spokesman. And he made a lot of money in golf. Can he really run a business? I don't know if anybody's even thought of this. Can Ty, Is Tiger Woods smart enough from a business perspective to actually do it? They would like him to be because that would put golf in the forefront. Can he do it, I think, is another matter. That's my question. Yeah, that, that is interesting. I mean, that, so we're talking about this is from a CNBC article. Tiger Woods joins PGA Tour board as Saudi deal talks continue. So basically... Basically, 
which is so funny because the PGA, you know, is supposed to be a player run league, but they have to have a special do nothing sidebar uh, <laughs> council for players. I thought that was funny. Um, so whatever sidebar council of players he's been added to, which I only, which is, you know, I think Royal Mac Rory McElroy is one of them. He was the only other name that I recognize that he joined other player directors include they're called player directors include Patrick Cantlay, Charlie Hoffman, Peter Malanti, and then uh, Webb Simpson, and then Roy McRoy, who's the only one of those I know. Now, I know very Webb little Simpson about golf. Webb name, too, uh, for okay. golf fans. Yeah. But, so that's the group he joins. And so basically, this group has some level of input into the governance of the PGA. So, um, not that we would have thought that Tiger's wasn't already thinking about this and interested in this, as Steve said, but this is a very explicit step in towards uh, leadership, I guess, or whatever pathway they offer players right now. Yeah, you're right in saying it's kind of funny that the player-directed league has to make an effort to get players involved. <laughs> like, who's really who's really running this outfit? Um, but to be clear, what's so this goes back to the PGA Tour Lift Golf merger, okay? What I wasn't totally clear on until this was that that merger that we've been talking about for what a year, you know, this, the battle, um, there's a deal done in principle, but it's not actually done, done and signed up. Um, and so there's still lots of, it, it, it still apparently needs to formally close. So that is ongoing. Um, and now tiger, if everybody recalls, uh, spurned live golf, to, to stay with the PGA. And so um, this is, I think, maybe a way for um, the two parties to kind of bridge the gap a little bit and and make it a bit more uh, appeasable to the PGA if you get Tiger involved and kind of put him in, even if it's fake in charge, put him in charge of this thing, put him on this board. Um, I think it makes it a bit more palatable for everyone to go around. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of other there's a lot of business issues, I guess, remain outstanding. And part of it, um, you know, this, this, and by the way, this story was by Lillian Rizzo and Jessica Golden are the two authors, but, um, uh, it, it, you know, they, they saying here, and I've heard it before that the deal is under scrutiny from lawmakers, which I don't understand. Um, presumably the scrutiny is, is, um, um, what's the word? Help me. What's the word? Uh, monopoly. Um, I guess that's what they're talking about. I don't know what the competition is in the first place. So I don't know why there would be scrutiny here. Monopolies implies that you're squashing competition and there is no competition. So I don't get that. But I definitely think this is, this is a way for the two parties to put the biggest name in golf out there. Um, you know, an olive branch perhaps to the, PGA golfers that abandon the PGA for live tour, you bring Tiger win, um, you kind of make everybody feel better. I think that's what this is about. Yeah, pro most likely. Um, what I think is a one thing it might be setting up is eventually, and as Steve mentions, it, it there seems to be more more details to hash out in this merger than previously advertised. So we're in a very active, you know, what they, I think they, the article called it, they have a framework agreement in place, right? So, you well, know. I can tell you from a guy who does deals for a living, I can tell you what that means. But that means is they've got uh, like a letter of intent signed. You know, they have, and what that to me is, I do these all the time. Uh, the major deal points are set and then you have to turn around and get the actual 
hundreds of pages of documents done, and there's a million other points that come out of that, but they have a framework done. They've got like a letter of intent signed, probably. Right. Remember when, when we had that similar situation between the uh, Josh Harris group and Snyder in April, but the sale didn't close till whenever late. Yeah, July. which I said the same thing about yeah. that. Yeah. So they've got they're, they're they're at that spot. So lots of stuff to 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 hash out. And and I don't think anyone wants probably including Tiger, uh, to be, you know, really involved in the weeds of that, right? That's for lawyers and negotiators. I don't think he'd want Tiger in the weeds of that. No, but what I think they are setting up as a possible outcome here is they get that, they get that stuff hashed out, right? They, they go from framework to deal, um, whatever PGA plus, let's call it whatever, whatever emerges, then you actually, then there makes a lot of sense to put Tiger in as even if it's somewhat cosmetic, you put him in the commissioner of whatever that is, and then he can bid build bridges. It's a sign. You're as Steve said, you're putting your 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 most public, popular face forward. And at that point, you know, these people are half figureheads to begin with, right? So if you put the right people around and you got, you know, then you could probably be okay. But I think that they are setting up Tiger for the post deal world leadership. Yeah, I mean, and and I'm not kidding about can Tiger do it, but what you just said is the answer. Uh, you know, Tiger's an athlete and a golfer. You know, he may be smart, but he doesn't do this for a living. But you have people around him who are real business people who actually know what they're doing and actually run things and then just kind of make him the figurehead. You know, we've had presidents like that, you know, of, of the United yeah, States. Yeah, it's a pretty we've, common model. We One could argue we're living under that regime right now as a matter of fact we have an 80 you know 80 year old but i don't want to go down that rabbit hole i'm sorry i don't mean to open that door but um, no i mean but no but i mean it, it's a that if you were to make archetypes of a ceo the figurehead leader is is a archetype yeah right and so that's what this is and again i think it's kind of an olive branch you know to the other to the other players um into the public yeah and cuz it tiger's He's a real interesting career path, uh, you know, because he, he's very he was very, very popular as a young person. He was a minority, uh, you know, his father's uh, African-American, his mother's. Is it Thai? I forget. Somewhere in Asia. Yeah. Yeah. Thai. And, uh, you know, and there's been historically very, very few golfers who were not white. And so that all by itself was an interesting point. And uh, he was so he's got such a large amount of personal charisma it seems like he's kind of a quiet guy but he sort of radiates something people people really kind of gravitated toward him but when the world fell apart on him miraculously somehow he didn't lose popularity i don't know how he did this it's one of the great uh, um mysteries i think uh, you know um because uh, you know if you go back in the way back machine he cheated on his wife um there was a whole string of you know uh, women that he was flying all around all over the place, all that stuff. How is it that he didn't lose his uh, chutzpah in the eyes of the public is something I'll never understand. But, you know, he's still got it, and that's why they want him in charge, or at least figuratively in charge. And that's, and you know, and that would plays into his skills, right? So that's sort of like the archetype of the figurehead CEO. You have to be a master politician. And, but, you know. But seriously, like, how is it? How did he survive his personal crisis? I'd say this. I'd say one 
just a mountain of his achievements, right? So like people that survive these things generally have such a mountain of achievements that it's hard to discount, right? If you're middling or you did one or two things or whatever, it's easier to, you know, to dismiss. So I think one, he just had a mountain of achievements. That's hard to scale. Two, they weren't assaults. Now, was he a philanderer, an adulterer, all that? But no one ever, like these were, all, yet, yet, the, what the women say i was just yeah i was his side piece they didn't say i was assaulted you know they, so there wasn't the violence and sexual violence associated with that so he was just a slut essentially um <laughs> you know i mean so and you know i think most people most people go oh one of the most powerful people in the world gets married too young and then goes on you know and to have like a, a you know sex sexcapades for the next 10 years not that shocking so and with no one saying he did anything that was, you know, let's just for the lack of a better word, criminal, then, you know, I think, eh, you know, people can like, okay, so he was a, you know, he was sleazy. I, I mean, you could argue that Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, fell into that same boat, uh, but he did get in charge of something criminal, but uh, didn't get convicted and it kind of went away because of the mountain of his basketball achievements. And he doesn't have half the charisma that or didn't have half the charisma that Tiger seemed to have, didn't have the million-dollar smile at all, and he was a weird, you know, recluse. Also, I think the other thing is it's he is such an international star, and the rest of the world, for a variety of reasons, isn't as obsessed with this stuff as U.S., right? Like, well, he's a U.S. citizen, so it, it happened in the U.S., right? So, so his... His it so it didn't diminish his international star, and we're so U.S. centric that sometimes we got blinders on. But if you're that big an international star, and you go to places like China or anywhere in Asia, whatever, they, no one's no one. It wasn't an issue. He's just Tiger Woods, and you know, to, to be a star in America is obviously huge, and it gets you a good leg up on the rest of the world. But if you're an international star, then you you can from a money and fame standpoint you can survive in the rest of the globe that doesn't necessarily care or even know about some of this stuff. Well, you can throw a lot of these soccer stars into this boat because I don't think like Messi. I wouldn't recognize him if he walked into my local Burger King. Honestly, I really wouldn't. And a lot of some people would, but a lot of people wouldn't. Um, but well, did you see that he got run out of a grocery store in in Florida because it, that happened? He tried shopping with his wife and was so bombarded that he l had to leave. Oh, no, I did not see that. Yeah. Um, but my point is, like, he's much, much, much less well-known in the United States than he is globally, right? I yeah. mean, he's made, no doubt, hundreds of millions of dollars and is a global superstar, except in the United States. Uh, you know, and for a lot of these athletes, it's the reverse. You know, Kobe Bryant... He was maybe not a great example because he was a massive star in China. But Tiger Woods, certainly a massive star in the United States, known out in the rest of the world, but not nearly as big of a star. Yeah, I mean, certainly that's, that is true. This is why it goes back to what I was saying, which is that like, I think putting Tiger Woods in charge on this board or whatever, because let's be honest, nobody cares about the other players on this board. It's the Tiger Woods show, right? That is to try to – because don't – I think that's to try to bring everybody in and get everybody to be okay with it. Because don't forget, the controversy with Live Golf is that it's the people behind it is the Saudi Investment Fund, which is basically the royal family's hedge fund, more or less. That's kind of what it is. And so there's um, 
uh, you know, there's some humanitarian issues with that because the Saudis aren't exactly an open society. Um, and so that is the controversy with Live Golf. And so that's part of probably why Tiger didn't want to do it. But putting him in charge is sort of an effort to minimize that, I think. Don't look over yeah, here. Think, look, we have Tiger. You know, look away. And I think it also is a potential olive branch to the players, right? Because there's a lot of schism What's, right now in the players. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and they need someone to rally around. And they're going to, you know. So, super interesting. What, it's just kind of a funny aside. I, you know, they're kind of, we're so U.S. centric. But it is a big globe out there with a lot of people and a lot of money. And one recent sports-related item that kind of made me kind of re-remember that was someone was talking about, oh, you know, it was like eight or 10 months ago. Oh, Netflix numbers really dropped or whatever, you know, subscriber numbers, one of those, and they ebb and flow. And people are like, oh, what is it? What is Netflix doing wrong? Blah, blah, blah. And when you actually crunch the data, it was that they lost a cricket contract. And Netflix is a global, it really is a global brand and a global broadcast network. And when they lost this cricket contract, it was so sizable through such a bigger part of the world that it had like, you could track the number decline in network subscribers. They lost the cricket contract and they had lost a huge chunk. It's really funny you say that because number one, you know, cricket in the United States, you think of a bug that you're going to squash because it's making too much noise. But every week when, every other week when we search these stories, I always see a bunch of cricket stories. Yeah, it's huge. And I always just ignore it because I don't care. I mean, cricket, um, but it is a huge international sport, (laughs) you know. And so the idea, it's funny to talk about this in the United States that Netflix losing a cricket you know, contract is a big deal, but it actually is a big deal. Just not for us here. Cause zero people, 0.0 people watch cricket or even know what it is in the United States, but internationally. Yes. So it is kind of funny because in some of the, like the sports business sites are globally related. There's a lot of soccer stories that we don't do because neither one of us care about them, you know, at all. And it's just not a thing in the United States, but like glo- if we were doing this globally, um, we would do a lot less like NCAA college football, a lot more cricket and golf <laughs> stories, you know. <laughs> totally. So, um, yeah, I just thought I just thought that that was that funny. is People good. Like, well, That's good. I'm it's because you, you canceled Glow. It's like no, it's because they lost cricket. <laughs> um, uh, last story talking about uh, international intrigue is uh, brings us back to the world of the WWE and. And and Vince McMahon's continued fake, real, legal employment, sexual picadillo stories. But apparently now, I guess, I guess uh, the federal government searched the WWE offices and he's on, quote unquote, medical leave again. Yeah. First of all, so a person I work with happens to be a big WWE fan and she writes, she knows I do this. And she wrote me a, a note that says, regarding sports for your blog, tomorrow is WWE SummerSlam. My response to her was, WWE's not sport. <laughs> <laughs> SummerSlam. <laughs> yeah, but now here we are talking about it. And and I just find... It is a business. It's a, it is a business, <laughs> yes. It's, it's um, I think it's really funny, um, the whole Vince McMahon thing. But what's interesting is, well, first of all, let's get into the story. So CNBC... Uh, Dan Mangan dated uh, the 2nd of August. WWE boss Vince McMahon hit with a federal grand jury subpoena and search warrant company reveals. And so we don't really know what this is about. Um, But yeah, he got um, served by a grand jury subpoena. And so that means that 
what a grand jury is is federal grand jury is a a jury of people citizens who are uh assembled to examine evidence presented by the prosecutors to determine whether or not a crime should be indicted that's what a grand jury is and so this is mcmahon is probably not the target i would venture a guess um I would assume probably not because of the way, you know, the subpoena, but you never know. Um, but we don't really, really know what this is about. The funny part is you and I swore up and down that when Vince McMahon went away like a year ago, that it was all a big scam, you know, big WWE storyline. And it kind of was because he was back all of a sudden. But this strikes me, and you said this before the show, Chris, strikes me as a bit more real. There's nothing phony about a federal grand jury subpoena. No. <laughs> you don't you fake that fake... for Monday Night Raw. Yeah, yeah, you can't fake that <laughs> at all. And the other thing is, McMahon this time seems to have legitimate medical problems, like serious, serious back problems. Um, at, but this is, um, let me see. There, there's no hint whatsoever. Oh, here it is. Medical leave undergoing major spinal surgery. But there is no evidence whatsoever of what this is you have to assume this is some kind of financial thing, right? I have to think that this is like money laundering, fraud, something along those lines. Um, I don't think something like this would be like criminal sexual assault or something like that because it's probably not a federal crime. Uh, you know, usually federal crimes are either monetary crimes or like uh, you know, the mob, the mafia, Rico, stuff like that. So well, I assume this is probably somebody's accusing WWE and maybe him. Well, of, so this payment, remember it was this payments to this woman, right? Like, so like that, so you're right. Like they're, they're tracking the legality of these payments. So the search warrant and subpoena on July 17th came a year after news first broke that federal prosecutors and the SEC were investigating WWE McMahon over his payments to a woman. WWE noted in the SEC filing Wednesday that it has received voluntary compulsory. You already mentioned that. Um, yeah, so I, mean, the, I guess I somehow they're tra- well. somehow that this this payment to this woman for for whatever reason is what. And so depending on how they. I guess reported that money or what pot of money that came that's from. Really what, I said it poorly. That's really what I was getting at because, uh, you know, this says the actions represent an escalation into an ongoing investigation into allegations <clears throat> that McMahon paid millions of dollars over the years to women after being accused of sexual misconduct. I mean, settling with a woman is not a crime. Vince McMahon entering into an agreement. A confidentiality agreement with a woman is not a crime. You know, Donald Trump doing the same thing is not a crime in and of itself. The crim, the criminal, the criminal aspects come into it other ways. And so when I say like money laundering, something like that, yeah, it has to do with this. But this is there's more to it than just Vince McMahon entered into a confidentiality agreement with some lady. That's what I'm getting at. Is it has there's some sort of larger end game here, which is some sort of fraud something along those lines i think is where this is going that's what i'm trying to say is it fair to say that the it is not the problem that money was paid to him and the problem or the issue or the investigation is what entity paid that money yeah yeah so right and so like the donald trump case for example is very similar so then donald trump case in new york 
the one that the what's the guy's Alvin Bragg is that his name the DA right, yeah. in Manhattan so the, I don't want to get political here but from a case standpoint what he's basically saying here is Donald Trump paid this porn star um, Stormy Storm, Daniels yeah her Stormy Daniels some money as uh, as you know hush money which is a confidentiality agreement so they, Donald Trump pays her and she doesn't talk about the affair they allegedly had and so the charges that the city of New York brought basically says that it was improper use of campaign funds because even though the um, the money was paid by Trump individually, it had to do it was for the benefit of his campaign, so it was really campaign finance. And that that's so. Point is, he's not being charged with criminal activity associated just with hushing up Stormy Daniels. The state of New York is saying there's a larger criminal event to it that's what i'm saying and this is the same thing with vince mcmahon there's something more to this than just vince mcmahon shot some woman up yes yeah, basically what took down john edwards a couple hundred years yes ago. the same exact type of thing john yeah. edwards who's a real piece of work himself same exact thing he hushed some woman up and he got charged with the same exact thing that trump did and ultimately the charges didn't stick uh, because again, it was had to do with campaign finance and everything, and he got his career was destroyed. But criminally, he escaped, and so that's probably what's going to happen to Trump in the New York case. That's probably what's going on here in the Vincent Mann case, albeit not campaign finance, but something to do with extortion, so, you know, money laundering, something like that. That's where they're going with it. Uh, poor Linda McMahon. <laughs> no, I do not feel sorry whatsoever for Linda McMahon. <laughs> Um, Somebody first tell I was me like, why Linda McMahon was put in charge of the Small Business Administration. I'll never understand that. Yeah, too, she, like I, I say before the show, she she ran for Senate twice and lost. Uh, and it, she went for both seats. Actually, it wasn't like she ran for the same seat twice. She, she <laughs> ran for both seats. Um, didn't she run? Wasn't you know what? Wasn't she like a long tail candidate for pre GOP president and like uh? I'm thinking maybe like 2012. Holy Christ! I hope not. I'm I, I, I'm almost positive. I don't remember that, but I'm not that far into. So now we're both here looking up here. Yeah. I, it's just funny that anybody considers her legit, but you know. Okay, so uh, while Chris looking it up, so she I was ran. I was thinking. I'm on. Wikipedia. She ran for Senate in 2009 as a Republican and then ran again in 2012 and lost both times. Um, there's nothing in Wikipedia okay, I think about I'm her being a presidential candidate. There's somebody else I'm thinking of. I don't remember that. Yeah, I must be making that up. Um, what has our politics fallen to? I don't know, you know, the McMahons, they're, they're three deep, right? Daughter, wife, and, and husband. Man. They, no, they, been... they're, they're, they're in no capacity are they deep, okay? Yeah. <laughs> well, they're deep in pop culture. Yes. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> uh, all right, Steve, what do we got coming up on the hog side? As you probably, you know, I mean, we're going to have our first preseason game. By the time you're listening to this, the first preseason game will be within days, I believe. Yeah, the first preseason game is this uh, upcoming week. Um, and so we are deep in the heart of training camp, uh, and we are starting all that stuff up again. We're, we're getting away from the off the field and going back to on the field. 
and and so that's our always big move. We're gonna it's gonna be one show a week, you know, from going forward. Like we started off last season, we're not gonna go back to um, you know pregame, postgame wrap ups. So one show a week, and then all of our regular ring content. Uh, all right, prediction. Uh, Sadiq Charles on the roster September fifth or no? No. Yeah, I agree. No. Uh, all right, we will see you in two weeks. <laughs>